Welcome to the Kintsugi Heroes podcast, where we share inspirational stories of everyday people going through different challenges and how they overcome them. Please be aware that the story you're about to hear may have moments of deeply felt emotions and personal experiences. If anything you hear has a triggering effect, please reach out to someone who can help keep you safe. If you love this conversation, we'd love you to like and share it with your friends so we can continue to share more inspiration and hope to as many people as possible. Now, listen up for our next hero story. My hero today is John Milton, and John gave me a story like no other, a story that impacts every one of us as a human being in this life, and that is one of loss and grief and love. It truly is a love story, and looking at it through that lens, you can see the beauty in what it means to be a human and the pain of what it means to be a human as well. John describes his story with such eloquence and love and reverence, and I'm really honoured that he chose to share his story with us on Kintsugi. I hope you really enjoyed this episode with John Millam. Here we are on a another episode. Actually, it's the first episode of Kintsugi Heroes, and I'm here with my first guest, John Milham. John, welcome. Thank you for coming. It's great to be here. Thanks, everyone. I'm so looking forward to this uh, from our first conversation, and you know, this is this is all about stories. You know, human stories, and you've got a story, and I, um, that's why you're here. And I'm really grateful for you being here. So let's get straight into it, shall we? If sure. you're ready, ready to do that. Lead on, McDuff. Can you can you take us back? There's, obviously, this is a story a story of adversity, and what I'd like you to do is go back to the. I guess the adversity event, you know, the thing that happened. And first of all, paint a picture for me of what was really going on for you in life before the event. Yeah, it's interesting, um, the event, right? And it is, uh, it's an act description, right? It's a, it's a point where I call um, the, um, it's uh, a come to father event, right? Right. So before that, I had, um, I was had spent forty years doing my best to make up for the things that um, weren't happening, like um, you know, uh, a nurturing, peaceful childhood, and um, the bits and pieces that come out of that. What is not an uncommon thing, I'm sure, in Australia, right? A, a, quite a dysfunctional family dynamic, right? Um, my generation, I think, had that fairly commonly in place. Uh, in in many ways, the product of our time, mm-hmm. right? Coming mm-hmm. out of you know, our family were children in in post war and post depression, and you know all that stuff, um, and, and limited in terms of understanding what we now know as cute uh, as um, core, which is emotional. Uh, intelligence right so whatever that leads to whether it's you know neglect or violence or in in many ways just really a sort of sub substandard you know 
mm. education as a child or an ability to be a child. What I generated, um, you know, some issues around that, but I met my wife, uh, or to be wife. I met her at, um, school, right? So I sat in front of her in English. Uh, she didn't like me much. We, and then I was sort of, you know, bit pushy at a, at a local dance one night when we got together, as the kids would say now, hooking up. And, um, you know, it, it was on dodgy ground for a while, but then we, I took her out, did, you know, very chastely and we saw the Star Wars, uh, premiere, right? We were at the very first Star Wars in on it. So that really cured things, right? So that was good. So, um, we went on and, um, uh, were together, uh, got engaged at 20, married at 22. Were pretty, you know, grew up together, you know, developing a pretty solid partnership. What was impressive about that was uh, my wife had been through adversity from a young age. Her father had died at eight. Um, her mother had struggled to bring her and her sister up by, as a single woman on the northern beaches, you know, on a pension, right? So they did it tough. And she had these incredible, you know, earthy, grounded qualities of resilience and understanding. And I, gained so much from that association. So she really pulled me back from the edge of where I was heading and uh, she created the man that I was to become. The issue about that was, though, I had never been a grown-up without her. So in, um, so we, we got married and, you know, you know, developed careers, bought a house, had all the boxes ticked. It. I was, um, you know, I was doing quite well in a corporate setting. Um, you know, we looked to upgrade cars. We looked to upgrade, you know, like we're doing or going to uh, barbecues and uh, talking about stuff we owned and, you know, places we wanted to visit. We had um, two kids, uh, three kids came along. Um, and I was, uh, uh, I remember my wife was not feeling so well. I went overseas on a work trip and um, when I came back, uh, it turned into something quite serious. It ended up being diagnosed as bowel cancer and then everything changed. And how long ago was this, John? That was in 2000 and, um, 2006. Okay. Um, so she was, we had about, uh, we had 11 months and 15 days of treatment and then, um, uh, she, it got her. So she passed away in 2007. So it was on May the 1st. Our wedding anniversary was May the 2nd. May the 1st was the birthday of our eldest son. That was a couple of weeks after her birthday. Um, and, uh, you know, and five days before, you know, a week before uh, Mother's Day. So, um, it wasn't, wasn't a good time. <laughs> so for anything, um, and of course, you know, I had no idea. I had no idea. I was completely, um, uh, as an individual, as a human, I wasn't uh, capable of operating on my own. I'd been um, completely, from the age of 16 to 42, I was a partner, a part of a symbiotic relationship. Um, in many ways, she was the grown-up. And uh, so, you know, I was left um, without any kind of maturity with three three kids um and uh thinking i was kind of a cool guy 
like, you know, capable. I thought I was, a, you know, like people told me I was capable in the world, right? I had a corporate career. I was, you know, involved in the community. I had, you know, achievements under my belt. And what I learned at that point was that I, um, I'd essentially been a self-indulgent wanker up to that point, if we give the language. And I was left completely in my incompetence. Uh, and, uh, that was part of the journey I needed to undertake. Uh, whether I was going to survive depended on how I then, um, got through the next couple of years from a grief perspective, uh, from a learning how to adult. So from an emotionally mature perspective and just a pure logistics one, right? Uh, can you imagine, my poor kids, can you imagine having to learn to, uh, cook at that stage and like feed your kids, right? They were incredibly patient and actually quite, quite encouraging, right? They used to tell me, like, it became a bit of a joke where every night they'd say, dad, this is the best you've ever cooked. And of course it was, right? Because the starting base was literally inedible and the, and, by the state, by the time I'd actually managed to put together two or three items that didn't make you want to vomit, right? So every day it got slightly better. And, uh, so they were actually, you know, telling the truth. Eventually they started enjoying meals, right? So I, you know, that, and that was kind of a parallel to my journey, right? Eventually people, uh, I started being functional and then actually competent, right? But that was, you know, years in in the making and not least you know mentally uh from an emotional health point of view i was i was um i call it my crazy period which is probably ending soon um hopefully (laughs) but um one of the strange things about grief is that um people gather around and it's it's strange because i i think of it as they gather around and they rush up quite close and then stand in a circle around you, right? Which is weird because they're super keen to help. But Australians are really bad. I imagine many Western cultures are really bad at grief. So they're looking at you going, wow, I really want to help. What, 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 what do I do? So half the time, that circle of people supporting you, are actually taking energy out of you. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because you're giving them a chance, making them feel better about being able to help you. So you're trying your best to help them, (laughs) you know, connect to you, right, when you have nothing to give, right? So it's a very strange dynamic. So I understand that many times you see people, you know, friends and relatives I'm sure you've encountered where, um, they are they're locked down, right? Or they or they um they avoid. They go into their shell, or they pretend it's not happening. Or um, particularly with men, often they you know we'll put our energy, we'll hide in work, or we'll actually physically hide. We'll we'll be away from our normal support or social circle, or we become com- consumed. You see people being consumed by, say, exercising response or. There are other, of course, less healthy, uh, 
less healthy medications we can take. We can self-medicate with alcohol, drugs, or you know, ir- irresponsible behaviour. Even you know, I I personally think wingsuit activity is one form of avoiding our mental challenges. Right? I think it's an extreme use of um, endorphins. But um, tell me, um, so what did you partake in? Shall we say? As your choice of, you know, is it was it escapism? It's uh, desensitizing the pain. So you could call it an escape, trying to escape from what's real, which is at the moment, at that po- point in time, your systems have shut down. Mm. So you're operating. If you can, you know, I'm from I, I have an IT background, so I often think of it as a full system shutdown, and then an emergency backup system kicks in. It's running on minimal power with minimal function, right? It's like uh, you, you power up your Windows system in safe mode, right? Um, and I felt like that was the case. I had a, a, a facade of operation, but underneath nothing was working properly. And how long did that go for? Years. Okay. Years, which is, surprises everybody because people people are very generous. I have a beautiful community and they came to help and they were physically, you know, at one stage, my my son, I knew he was doing okay when he started complaining. No more lasagnas were coming through the door, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, a very you know, people are physically able to help, and that's wonderful. That's not, I won't put that down at all. But uh, it's not, um, you know, this is a deep emotional, psychological wound, a uh, uh, void, not so much, you know, a wound. It's it's actually a void and it's filled by connection. So um, what I did was I guess um, I discovered that I was a uh, that I was a contemplator. So I had a this I had a deck that looked over um, a beautiful part of Sydney Pittwater and um, at the time and I I lack of sleep so I I didn't sleep very much. So I would sit there and, uh, I had, um, cigars and, and thinking. So I would, you know, basically sit there most of the night. I'm talking four, two, three, four in the morning, looked out over nature and smoked cigars and thought about what, how I was going to do this. And of course, in that moment, as you can imagine, there's some very dark thoughts. Yeah, tell me what it. What, what, yeah, tell me about that. Very well. You, you, I need. You know, when you hurt so much, you need to decide. And there's no Panadol available. And you, I've, I'd already chosen not to go down the route because um, it's very attractive. But I, you know, physically held myself back from. Uh, drinking during that period it was, was just too attractive um or any other kind of you know substance like um you know sleeping pills or whatever you know there were offers of you know i oh, will take this it'll help you know and at the, at the time i just felt the need to confront this but at the same time i had no skills or resources to call on to deal with it so I just sat there and wondered what was, what was, you know, what I was going to do. And I was desperately keen to talk to people and find out. So of course the internet 
was a resource I had in 2007 up to a point. Um, and people, there weren't many people in my situation at all. So anyway, I sat there and, um, it hurt. It really, really hurt. I, I had no idea about how I was going to get through. So one of the things that, um, I really, I looked at was, you know, I very, you know, stepped through the process of what would happen if I, uh, if I decided to opt out, if I, you know, killed myself. And, um, it seemed like a pretty good idea. There were just, you know, you can't, it's not about dying. It was really inconvenient to die, right? But it was about saying, well, you know, I'm not sure I can live, right, with what's going on. And it's a very, I now know that that's a, a position. Most people don't want to die. They just don't want to keep going with what's going, what's happening at the time. So it was really important for me to to talk to people. And a few people came into my life that had conversations. To be interestingly, my you know those new people became the most important people in my life, as opposed to many of the people I I you know I had every day before that. Um, and and many of it was driven by lived experience. You'd often get people who knew what was going on that would come in and make a difference. Uh, that said, it was it was I was lucky. I had a chance to bump into those people. There was no concerted effort. To find, I didn't even know that, that what that was, what was happening. But, and then I was just lucky that I, um, at the times where I was most at risk, uh, where I got closest to the edge of that decision, just, you know, a thought, a stray thought or a stray encounter or a conversation, or just, you know, to be honest, I'm grateful I was a little, you know, a, a little wa- wary of like, you know, of, <laughs> I didn't want to, I like the idea, I don't like heights. So that took out a whole kind of concept, right? So it would have been very easy to find a, find the edge of something and, and go. But it was interesting. I just didn't like that idea, right? So then you've got to go through a whole bunch of other things. So it was kind of, it was kind of just a logistics thing that, and I was just lucky. You know, I had something in in me that just, you know, whether it's kids or, well, you know, anything. You know, like, and the interesting thing is when you're there, I always think of it as I've got a, an idea. You know, I, I work with people now where I recognize helplessness, hopelessness, and worthlessness as the, as the thing that drives us, the, 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 cert, the spiral of thinking that gets us into that space. And I can recognize that in myself. What, I think held me back uh, at times when I needed it was a little bit of arrogance. I had an ego. <laughs> so in that ego, I refused sometimes to give up my worth, even though um, I felt completely battered by life and, and so on. At times, I guess I just hung on to a little bit of worth, right, which is kind of lucky. Um, and that kept me safe for each moment because, you know, they come and they go. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, so when you're left, when you decide to stay or you, you decide not to go more likely, um, you then have to decide how you're going to do that. And that becomes, that changes everything. So mm-hmm. back to where you said, 
the event, mm. that was the point where I, you know, said goodbye to my wife on the bed um, at her, you know, as I watched her go. Um, and I then, I remember uh, a little bit later looking into the eyes of my kids as I shared that news. And no, no heart survives that unchanged. At that point, I had a new life to build and no identity at all. So, you know, I, uh, I had physically lost weight at the time because I was, you know, trying to be healthier for my kids and all that. Um, so I was like physically different. I certainly had no, uh, you know, ev- ev- my logistics, everything in life was different. And I certainly, my identity was instricably bound up with my, uh, uh, working partnership with my wife. We were never planning to be apart, right? So we'd never really contemplated that. I'm sure she might have on, on a few occasions when I was particularly inconsiderate, but, uh, I'd never, I'd never decide, I, I was never going to go. And just in a little aside, I'm sorry. Um, it's funny that the moment, uh, when love slips away, right? You, when you, my, that partnership, just during that period where she was, um, very, very sick and then going, um, I perhaps, m- m- learnt more about what it was to be in love that that moment than I'd ever learnt before, right? So, like, it's such a, you know, life can be such a paradox, right? Because at that time, you're probably, I I remember calling, you know, basically never being more in love with my wife than at the moment that she was, um, Mm. you know, heading out. It's so beautiful. Um. I've got a couple of questions for you, John. Yeah. How old were your kids and how did they, how did, how did you go with them during that initial period? Huge question. Um, my kids were, uh, so it was my son, oldest son's 13th birthday. So I, my kids were, uh, two boys, 13 and 10 and, um, and the princess was five. There are two things about kids. Like we call it, we talk, we often say they're resilient and they are, right? But there, I, I, I would frame it slightly differently. I would say, given the opportunity to be, they are, they can heal. It's almost like treating a wound with the best kind of treatment you can. It's going to clean, heal up, you know, much faster than if you fill it with dirt and all that stuff. Right? So the problem is the best kind of support they get is really often unavailable during a period of grief, right? So I, I said it was my cra- I was crazy. I was angry. I was indignant. I was really indignant that, that the, that this had happened to me when I'd done, you know, I had, you know, put the hard yards in. I'd suffered and then I'd come through. I had a bunch of boxes ticked, right? And I remember thinking just, you know, not too long before, uh, uh, my, uh, Glenn was my wife uh, before Glenn was sick. Was I was thinking, oh, this is it. I'm pretty much locked into my life now, right? At that stage, I'll go, oh, okay, well, I better give up the thoughts that I might, you know, j- 
join the Foreign Legion or, you know, um, go, you know, do adventurous stuff like, um, um, I just, I just sort of tapped into that suburban life and maybe there was a little bit of, you know, resentment, maybe not. I don't know. I can, I just remember it as thinking, oh, well, you know, the, uh, things are pretty locked in. And of course, then bing, right? The universe slaps you across the face. Uh, and really, and it's the injustice of it all. Like mm. I was the one who met, played up, right? You know, she was a, you know, she was a suburban saint, right? Who put up with me and life and three kids and she really put the hard yards in. And it was coming up to when she should have been reaping the benefits of that. And she was taken away and the injustice of it. Uh, I, you know, I felt angry and frustrated about my situation. I'm left here. I'd never signed up to be a nurturer. I was not a nurturer. I was a, you know, if there was China, a China shop, even in the district that was in danger, right? I smashed around life. So, right. Um, it wasn't fair that I was now given, uh, sole charge of these. You know, what I thought at the time were these fragile things. Like I thought of myself as a great father, um, which involved me, you know, coaching rugby and, you know, you know, sitting down quietly at the, when I came home from work to take care of things, right? Of course, all the details, I didn't know what a blue book was or, you know, what inoculation went where. I didn't know how to, you know, feed, you know, what they ate for lunch. Or uh, you know how to hem, how to get a uniform. I think my daughter, the first twelve months, she she was five. She was going to kindergarten, and I think she went to school with with you know uh, a hem three different sizes, right? You know, like she was you know like up and down and you know around and ankles half the time. I don't know, but um, how they were physically, they had their needs taken care of. You know, fairly badly, but I, I did my best. Emotionally, it's true that they they can heal quickly. Kids, they're resilient if I'm giving them what they need. Mm. Um, and I discovered that that a couple of things. The first was I need to to give, particularly Rebecca, my youngest. I needed to give them a sense that I, I you know, that I was grounded. So part of maybe what kept me there was not. The fact that the kids needed me, you know, I suspect they, you know, I thought they might be better off at times without me being so angry and horrible, but they needed to know that someone in their life wasn't going anywhere. So, and that kind of call to duty made it, may have anchored me a little bit. Um, and then they needed ritual, you know, we needed to find something that was stable, maybe create new, uh, family cultural, you know, memes and processes and rituals mm. um and then i they needed me to become a better bloke when i stopped yelling at people and things and the and yelling at the sky at four o'clock in the morning then i just i guess i stepped up to that challenge and i started to seek out what it was to be a better bloke sorry for the interruption this is Ian Westmoreland, the founder of Kintsugi Heroes, and thank you for listening to this story from one of our amazing heroes. Our mission is for these stories to provide hope and inspiration to people experiencing life challenges and to also educate the broader community on how best to provide support. 
If you would like to help us to continue to produce more hero stories and cover more adversity themes, we would welcome all donations. These can be made via our website, kitsukiheroes.com.au. The donate function is at the bottom of the homepage. We'd also welcome any feedback. You can email me direct using ian at kintsugiheroes.com.au. Now let's get back to the story. You said you, you had a successful corporate career. So at the time, through, the, through that last stage of your wife's illness, were you working less? Had you taken leave? Like what, what were you doing in terms of work? I was so guilty. I'd been overseas uh, on an assignment just when she was um, first discovering the, you know, the extent of her illness. Right? And I'd come back. It was only a couple of weeks after we're back that she went in and was diagnosed with a, um, with a tumour in the bowel and had surgery and started treatment. So I, 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 I didn't forgive myself and, and I projected that onto work. So I didn't forgive work. So it was maybe about two years. So essentially I, you know, just blamed work. So I treated it quite badly. Um, the strange thing about grief is if you like, no, they're so, people are so scared of approaching it that even when you're, you know, um, uh, you know, a, a manager in a major corporation, right? And you just go MIA because you're grieving, right? People won't mm. even talk about it. <laughs> so they just pretend you don't, you know, they, they shut the door on your office and, um, you know, they just say, oh, he'll be back soon. Yeah. So I, I did, I did take a lot of leave. Um, in IT, the world was, you know, like I worked for IBM, we, there were 50, you know, there were only uh, a desk for 50% of the people. So you could work from home. And I had, uh, you know, I was connected with overseas. So, Mm-hmm. I was often um, twenty four by seven, you know, like so. It, you, know, you could cover, right? So you could keep things ticking over. But um, yeah, I was. It was a it was a useless process, right? The the level of incapacity that you you're carrying, you're just pretending that you're functioning properly. Particularly mm-hmm. after my wife passed, I was I was a, I was completely and utterly just you know in, incompetent. I was reduced to the base level of incompetence. The only thing I was competent at was pretending I wasn't incompetent. Right? So I would just, you know, oh, how are you going? Yeah, good, good. Getting on top of things, you know, yeah. Starting to come back, starting to get my handle back in the, you know, head back in the game. And people were happy to hear that, right? They weren't looking. So they let you go, right? Yep. Um, yeah. Afterwards, it was just a nightmare for um, managing all the things that were new in your life. So I didn't sleep for a couple of years. Basically, I would, um, you know, I'd work late after I got the kids into bed and so on. I would start working at sort of 10 and finish at four and get an, a, 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 an hour and a half sleep or two hours sleep and then start, you know, making breakfast in school at six. Spent a lot of money on, on really bad domestic help. Uh, couldn't pick a decent au pair or nanny if I tried. So. We had some adventures in that area. It's actually a point of amusement with the kids now. So, um, yeah, some of our, uh, our guests. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah, you just stumbled through. So yeah, it was, mm. a, it's all a bit of a blur. A couple of years later, 
So here's, and I just started to open up. And I, you know, that full system shutdown we were in, it's like slowly you start to get things power restored to one or another system, right? Mm -hmm. So it's almost like a stage open up, right? Some people call it a, a layer of onions, but I, I, I love the idea of just I'm powering up another system, right? So I've got the, you know, the, so I had the heart system coming back online, one sort of, you know, application at a time. Um, and so, you know, there was the possibility of, you know, uh, being a, a, a single bloke now, right? So there's a possibility that starts to head into your, of a relationship. No idea, right? No idea, right? <laughs> so I never hadn't really dated. I was 16 when I met my wife and, um, we were together 27 years. Uh, she passed away on our, uh, the day before our 20th wedding anniversary. I had no idea about any of that stuff. So, um, but a possibility, you know, you might, um, and, and that, that's a whole nother level of hurt when all those systems start coming online. You, you get new issues popping up. Wow. Mm. Um, so I, um, there are certain things that you realize that now, um, are too painful or too scary to go to. Because, you know, the first time you try to access them, you suddenly realize that's off. You know, you haven't repaired that, that conduit. Um, and then I was sitting in, I drove to work. Um, and I was sitting, I got in the car park and as I pulled up, right, I contemplated getting out of my car park and walking into the office and uh, I couldn't breathe. Suddenly I couldn't breathe. I'm just sitting there and I had no idea what was going on i was so freaked out by it and um i i had this incredible pressure you know that was sitting on me the jaw was tingling my shoulders were stiff i had you know i sat i i, I was perfectly still and i did not know if i was going to be able to take another breath and i'm thinking mm. i'm having a heart attack mm. right so I'm sitting here going, oh, my goodness, and there was kind of this peace coming over me going, well, if I die, it's not my fault, right? I can't be blamed for messing up the kids, right? So, um, so but, uh, you know, and sit there, and then each breath you actually had to will yourself to breathe again. Um, and I'm freaked out because I had no idea what was going on. And then I was just overwhelmed with this sense of weak, you know, worthlessness, this sense of what on earth, John, the people you once put down for their, you know, here's a cup of cement, harden the F up, you know, like literally, you know, that was my life. And now I'm the person I would be, you know, completely, you know, dismissive of. Um, and I didn't know what was going on. I thought I was dying. Um, and I sat there scared to move in case a breath wouldn't come. Um, and it was five hours I sat in that car just contemplating whether the next breath would come. And then um, I started to get confident that I could keep breathing, and then I was completely freaked out. So I just I was fuging out and I just lost it. And um, I now know that was my first anxiety attack. What's an anxiety attack in my world, right? You know, you didn't have them on a rugby paddock. So... Um, yeah, it was a strange and and that changed. That really was a huge catalyst. Like, John, what's going on? 
And underneath, underneath that, I'm so grateful for that experience now because unlocking the secret to that anxiety attack led me on a path where I started finding out what my true values were. Um, I started understanding that um, there's a whole nother language to speak and it was a language that women know well that I was getting, I was hearing from the people I had to talk to about my daughter, you know, because I had a young daughter and it's her friends and, you know, became uh, the mothers of her friends became the people in my life on a weekly basis and they had this whole other language that and this almost this club that men don't even know about, which is called like a, uh, uh, you know, coffee and emotional truth club, you know, like, and it's, uh, and I was fighting about those things and then it hit and, you know, I discovered that that was, um, that was the path forward out of my anxiety. And to be truthful, that was the beginning of the end of me ever being able to work in a corporate environment again, because, um, giving up the values that I started to unlock. And the, and once the heart, once I opened up the capacity to feel as a bloke, I didn't want to shut it down. And I, I realized that I couldn't, um, I couldn't subvert those things anymore to, to, to go in and, you know, sit in an office and do what I now think of as unconscionable things, you know? Mm, yeah. But at the time we're just climb, you know, corporate, corporate world. As you speak, John, you've got a lot of wisdom and you've obviously had a lot of time over the last 15 years for self-reflection, you know, healing. Um, tell me, during that period, sort of you, you mentioned that the moment you chose to stay, yeah. as in you chose to not leave this life, yeah. yeah, and there was obviously a big period after that of healing, having that anxiety attack, figuring out your worth. What was it that helped you on the path back to, I guess, where you are now, if you want to call it a level field or I don't know if, it, if it's still a hill at what you're climbing? Um, you know, was it a faith? Was it a belief? Is it people? What helped you get out? Yeah, isn't that interesting? It's all of those things, right? And you talk about a hill. I I, um, I don't like climb. Uh, you know, I, hills are great, but um, they're good to be at the top of. I hate going up. But... Um, uh, I'm a waterman, so um, I think of it as a, a you know like I'm out in a storm. You know, wind, rain hits you. You can be out in the rain, but it's fine. You can be out in the wind, but it's fine. And but at, at sometimes the waves, rain, and storm hit you, and you are just hanging on, right? And then it eases, right? But every now and then, this wave comes along and smacks you down again, and you suddenly go down and you struggle back up. Um, uh, but then the lull, you're okay again, right? You know, and it's like, there's no rhyme or reason to the amount of lulls or the amount of waves that hit you or keep you down. So I, I often feel it's like that. I, you know, I, some days I'm on top of the world over that 15 years. What was the, you know, I, I had lots of storms hit me. Mm. Um, so here's an interesting idea. As I eventually started sort of, you know, kind of, contemplating and then doing something about a relationship for me it was a few years um often men operate a little bit um earlier than that they often reach out for a relationship because it's a form of medication right how can you avoid facing the big questions well easy you get someone confident in doing them right 
um, you suddenly realise, and here's where I was an incompetent, self-indulgent wanker, was um, you suddenly realised that I needed a um, domestic help. I needed a cleaner, a cook, a nurse, a, a, you know, childcare. I needed, you know, um, someone who, you know, I needed a, a therapist, a, you know, intimate advisor. I needed a fashion advisor, a style, you know, like ER person, right, or a wife. Right, basically, you know, all of those things are a why. I understand the attraction in that, but I just I knew I had a really good piece of advice. A very wise uh, woman once said, "Look, most men, you know, jump into a relationship straight after grief, and it's always the wrong one." Um, And and so I just said it. I put aside alcohol and other substances and. And also I included that in a relationship and I just said, I'm going to work on myself. Um, I thought I was doing a good job. So, but part of the learning is when you start to be in other relationships, right? Each one so is different. So like, to be honest, I, I experienced my first broken heart at like at 46 years old, right? And so, cause I, you know, I, I'd, I'd never had, had never had a, um, someone break my heart before my wife. Your wife leaves, you don't, that's not, you know, kind of a broken heart situation. It's a complete, you know, loss of, of, you know, of, but you never, you don't stop loving someone, right? It's, they're not there, but, um, it's not, you know, uh, the severance of your, of your love. You grieve. I believe grief is about losing your future, not Mm. that person. Yeah. You know, um, Uh, because, you know, that person, you know, you could, you left for work every day and you didn't grieve them, right? You missed them. So I missed my wife, but I, I grieved, I, I grieved my life. Um, yeah. So I, you learn those things and each time what gets you out of it? Well, for me, I discovered I became addicted to, 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 to research. So I spent tens of thousands of hours in those 15 years either do it, you know, researching, you know, the net or rabbit holes or having as many conversations about this stuff as I could, often to the detriment of our of relationships with people who didn't want to talk about this stuff. I remember a, a mate of mine going at one function, he goes, John, it's really hard now to talk to you. And I go, why? And he goes, well, can't you just talk about footy anymore, right? You're like, why do you go, why do you have to ask all these questions? <laughs> um yeah, so I, I, you know, I was, um, I was inspired to find out as much as I could, and I found, and it's wonderful that the that there's a lot of stuff out there. I became a seeker, so I, I also sought experiences, right? So I reached out at the time, and he, if I can take a moment, you talked about faith. I was a Premier League atheist, right? So I, you know, I was an evangelical atheist, right? So I used to, before my wife uh, got sick, I used to run around. Helping Christians get over Christianity, right? I would try to, I'd convert them back to sense, right? So when, and the the thing, I know it's a bit trite, and I apologize to atheists and Christians for this, but um, when there are, I don't think there are many atheists on a crashing plane, right? And um, when um, the injustice of my wife's illness, uh, Taught me to be angry at someone, and that someone was out there, the universe, whatever. So we, what, what, what we call it. Um, and so, of course, when she left, 
I was just like, you know, I, you go into begging mode, you go into transactional mm-hmm. mode. So I'm transacting, I'm trying to, you know, I'm negotiating with, with the higher power. And of course, once she's gone and you finally get over the anger, you're left with the concept of someone. You know, an atheist has no concept of who, you know, who they're talking, they don't need to talk to anyone because they're not there. I now had introduced the concept to someone and I went on a, 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 a spiritually seek, a seeking spiritual path, right? So, and I, I tried all sorts of things, everything from, you know, new age experiences and, you know, clairvoyance and you name it. I had a wonderful time and I just found an amazing resource of people with different ideas and different, you know, different wisdoms, right? Um, I end up becoming a Christian. Um, and that's a very, very powerful place for me, very strange place for the world to look at me now. So many people in my life, like my kids are completely, you know, amused by the journey, but, um, um, it's, it's about, uh, the place I got to allows me to walk in faith, which is faith is the belief without evidence. And there's such a freedom in that because then I can decide to accept things in a way that feels, you know, not speculative. I feel confident about having, being able to, you know, accept things that are important to me moving on, right? Like, you know, um, fear of death, right? You know, stuff like that. Um, because having gone through the experience, one of the things you do freak out about is, is the, this peace, uh, uh, on my, in, in my wife's face after the whole process of dying, right? You know, I just said, I don't really, you know, I don't think that's going to be a good experience, right? So I now learn that the mechanics of it, it's much, you know, that whole end of life thing is, is actually mechanically required for a peaceful death. Mm. But, um, it's, yeah, I didn't want to, anyway, I, you know, without getting morbid, it, it's quite amazing, right? I'm allowed to explore, uh, my concept of spirituality with a degree of freedom because faith doesn't need evidence. Right. So that's where I am, um, um, and I don't mind other people being where they are. Right? So, it's um, freedom in that. Yeah, but that's all part of the seeking, right? I just had experiences. Mm-hmm. That was a an amazing experience for me. Uh, that faith experience, as well as many others, which I I have loved learning from as I've gone along. It's it's really remarkable to me, John, that you've it, it's it's hearing you speak about the depths of the tragedy, right, the injustice and and the pain and everything that you've gone through, you've spoken so eloquently about the challenges that you went through on a daily basis and how you navigated the grief and it's really evident to me that you are passionate about life (laughs) today and I'm sure it was very different 15, 14, 13 years ago. Um, so I can see that you've developed, you've found, uh, uncovered inside of you this passion. Yeah? Mm. You've got this yeah. seeker in you. And obviously that's, you know, something that drives you now. It, it's something that's come out of this. That Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the further I've gone all down that path, the more passionate I've become. 
right? Mm. Um, the more amazing I discover, you know, do you know what? I think it's about realizing the beauty, like, like, um, Neil Young says it in his song, you know, like it's all the freaky people that make the beauty of the world. And I'm mm. just, I just think that's amazing right now because it's become true that, you know, as being as someone who has lost his space on the normal distribution curve, I've now gone to the extreme in so many ways. Uh, I've let go of the need to get back and I've started to look at everybody around me and just really start to enjoy how um, that diversity can actually inspire me instead of scare me. Mm, right, you know, nice. um, and not only that, that other people's pain, I have a part to play in helping them. Maya Angelou says, if you want to find your purpose, look to your wound, right? So um, I say that a lot because that inspires me to remember now I have a purpose. I have a, men love a mission. David Dieter says, mm. you know, man must have a mission in uh, way of the spirit of man. And I, I, I embrace that idea, right? What's my mission now? Well, it's tied to my values, which is, you know, um, love, and, you know, versus, you know, versus indifference, right? You know, um, how I, my, I see myself becoming as a seeking a bit, being a better bloke is actually about being more patient, more tolerant, more accepting. Not about you know being stronger, faster, fitter, higher, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's now about being. Um, it's a simple test when I'm able to truly enjoy someone's win as much as I enjoy my own. I know I've reached another level of 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 human capacity, right? When I don't feel a touch of envy or a touch of jealousy or a touch of you know like when that all that's out of me then i'll know I, i'll probably be long dead by you know, before i get there but um that's what i now seek right the excellence in living for me is now being contributor not a not a taker um and i'm inspired to to help so i found a simple message and that is man life is tough right but that's the beauty of it right if you want a beige existence then um you know you can you know you can become wealthy and boring right and try to jump off cliffs to find your space guess what the real challenge the real extreme living is down here working with people that you would not normally feel comfortable with Mm. or sitting when you want to do nothing but run away because someone is sitting there telling you a story that's so tragic, um, it feels like a hot stove emotionally, and yet you hold your space. That's a warrior in my mind, as opposed to someone who, you know, is proficient in nunchucks. Right. Um, so that's what I now seek to be that emotional warrior, to be that mindful warrior, not because I want a, you know, a website, right? But because I want, you know, I want somebody to walk away, feeling you know like just walking away, feeling like they're actually got hope tomorrow, or you know they might be able to to do like I was lucky enough to have done, and, and just keep bumping along. I've got all the problems in the world, 
and yet I haven't got a single problem. I love that. What a what a beautiful way to describe, I guess, the gold that you've mined through this last fifteen years. Uh, you know, I don't need to ask the questions or, or for the audience to sort of wonder what did you take away. You've just explained exactly what you've got from this, and it sounds like you are a changed man for the better, humbled, wise, still on a journey, and giving back, which is just beautiful. Well, everything's back. Can I uh, just one last thought? Uh, the um, and this you get probably the single most significant piece of wisdom that I was gifted along the way was um, when I suddenly realized that the worst thing that ever happened to me that I would take back in an instant, regardless of what it cost, has led to so much in my life that I wouldn't give up for anything, right? And that takes away you tell me what's good. And you tell me what's bad, and I tell you it's both of them are meaningless. What they are is the life that I've responded to contains the gift, right? I, you know, I have no money. I could be homeless next week. I'm the richest man in the world, right? And my, you know, my kids are an absolute marvel and a gift to me every day. And I sat down last week and enjoyed every moment of being around them. Except the one where I said, I, I, I'm not, I don't get this enough. Right. And yet as a corporate high flyer, I, I spent, you know, more time away from them than with them. I'd never be in this position if I was there. So I just know that good and bad's irrelevant. Um, uh, you know, there are other, there are other ways to live. If there was someone going through a similar situation, John. You got a piece of advice for them? Anything you'd like to say? Next to you, maybe on the bus, maybe on the sideline of the of your kid's game, maybe in three cubicles away, you know, uh, maybe across the coffee table, you <laughs> know, at a coffee shop, is someone who contains wisdom you need. Uh, that will change your life. Conversations are the currency of growth, right? Uh, and you will grow the more quality conversation you have. So the next time you say, how are you going? And somebody says, fine, ask the next level of a question down saying, oh, fine. What, what makes you fine today? Tell me about you. When we do that and we, we find the people we're meant to talk to, and when we find the people we're meant to talk to, we learn the things we're meant to learn. Providence is there. It's on the ground. It's been gifted to us by whatever higher power we look to. All we need to do is open our bloody eyes and have a look and pick it up, and that means in connecting, like giving up the idea that we're the centre of the universe and trying to seek that centre by just starting to open yourself up to to the wisdom that other people have. I don't know if that, does that make sense? Absolutely. Really does. Thank you, John. I want to thank you for sharing your story with me today. Um, I've loved every second of it, and I hope our listeners have gotten something really precious to, to take away from this. So, just Well, wanna... thank you for um, offering the platform. I, I... I really enjoy um, being able to um, 
to offer whatever, you know, whatever stuff's there. And um, all I would say is, you know, I encourage people to reach out, and, you know, find help with us or find help with, you know, mm. it, on the person next to them on the bus. Thank you so much, John. Good on you. Cheers. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Kintsugi Heroes. Please like and share the show to your friends so we can get this out to even more people. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, please reach out using the contact details below. And join us next week for our next Heroes story. Until then, keep being you and remember that we are all heroes in our own unique way. Only when it's broken Only when you're broken Only when